I don't know. I don't remember. I could check my diary. <laughs> I could check my diary. Oh my god, am I in your diary? <laughs> I have a special separate diary. I call it the Book of Joe. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those academic discoveries and innovations we often hear about, but never actually seem to touch our lives. We want to look at why that is and what it might take to move those things, those innovations into actual things on a shelf that we might someday take advantage of. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm with Unimed, the Technology Transfer Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska at Omaha and the University of Nebraska Medical Center. I'm joined by Tyler Sher and Joe Runge. Uh, Tyler, you are a licensing associate, PhD, smartest guy in the room, right? That's what, about cover it. That's what I like to say. Yes. Um, well, I'm just. I just meant this. I room. like it better when you say it though. Just Thanks. this room. So don't <laughs> oh, keep, come on. Calm down. Just calm down. <laughs> and also joined by by Joe, who is um, the second smartest guy in the room, run uh, in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, licensing. Uh, well, our biz development guy at at Unimed, also the. Um, well, the I always screw this up. The, the Unitech thing. I'm the associate director Just, of a translational research institute. What? That's got a startup incubator pasted on the side. You have my permission just to smack me in the face. I'm, I'm never going to stop trying. Gonna laminate that, that one. <laughs> <laughs> and while I'm doing that, please take a moment to rate the podcast and leave a review. Please also uh, tell other people about what we're doing. We want to become the front porch for innovation university wide. Tell the stories how they benefit by creating products that touch actual people's lives. And um, we can't do that unless more people hear about it. Yes, we do want to tell more stories, not just Nebraska stories, but stories around the world even that uh, that show how universities are making all of our lives better. So if you've got any ideas or um, or uh, you know want to help spread the word for us, that would be great to help us do that. Um, speaking of the world, we saw mm. that um, – at least I saw something coming out of China that was a little disturbing – and Tyler, because you have a PhD, I'm expecting you to be able to explain this to me, how yeah. some dude in China decided to make a CRISPR baby. Yeah, CRISPR babies. Because that's what I want to go over. Well, I part of the over, most... Can, can I, so now I want to go out and like, I don't know, can I genetically modify my kid to like be better behaved? Because yeah. the well, boy, is come, you, he's becoming a little bit of a problem. You, you could you could try. You could try. But it, you, there's a lot of unintended consequences. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so CRISPR babies became officially became a thing. That's, that's now a, a meme. We should um, all be worried and running for the hills and, like, do I need to get in the hidey hole? Do I need to get a, sh- a shelter and just, like, hide? No, you know, I, I don't. On? I don't do think I, yet. What I think, level of I think, terror yeah. should I feel right now? I think. I think Are we at drink our own urine stage. Or? No, oh, yeah. no. I think we're at like. A, I think the or drink the, someone else's <laughs> urine stage. <laughs> That's <laughs> well, <laughs> we're never at that stage. According, according to Bear Grylls, oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> unless you're a soccer team in the Andes, I sorry, I am a soccer team in the Andes. <laughs> I think terror level is like a a, a tranquil, placid uh, blue right now. Okay. Like okay. Blue green, a sea foam, maybe, yeah, <laughs> or or a baby blue, um, sea foam. Never mind. Yeah. So so what happened was in in November of 2018, just a couple of months ago, uh, Chinese scientist He Zhangkui, and I'm, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing you, that. You'd mispronounce it. I probably butchered I'm, it. I'm almost certain. Yeah, I tried to Dude, type CRISPR it. Dude, a baby. Don't be so respectful. Go on. Yes. Yeah. Well, so uh, <laughs> Chinese. No, what respect has he Chinese earned scientist, from you? Uh, 
uh, I mean, he's pushing science forward. Um, so did, but but in a <laughs> like very in a irresponsible way, way. A very irresponsible way. Yeah. In, a, he in had, a very Instagram way. He also had help. Um, I need to shout out his co-conspirator here. Uh, U.S. scientist, Rice University professor Michael Deem, who's currently under investigation. Um, and not so currently why, why are we giving him a shout out? Because he's Be- under investigation. Because, because he's, he, he, I have to list all, all, also, all the perps. All the perps here. <laughs> also in the running for the Dr. Moreau Prize of scientific chicanery. Okay. That, that's a good. That sounds that's, like an official prize. Yeah, gonna have to three. It's like the Darwin Award for <laughs> scientists or something. Copyright chicanery. Um, yeah. So so they uh, announced in November um, that they had created the first genetically edited babies using CRISPR Cas9 technology. This was uh, what they did was they edited out uh, the CCR5 gene, which uh, produces. A not the JJB4? No, no, not okay. that one. No, right. that is too, deep. Come on. It's too, too dangerous to Sorry. do that one. Right. That is just insane. <laughs> no, so <laughs> CCR5 produces okay. a protein on the surface of your immune cells. It's responsible for some immune signaling. It's, it's a chemokine okay. or chemokine receptor, actually. Um, uh, importantly, why they did it, it, uh, it, is, the, it is the key... Um, uh, it's, it's one of the main, uh, points of entry for HIV into your immune cells. So it sounds like a really good thing to edit out. Yeah. So it's basically this, this grip that HIV virus can grab onto and then invade your immune cells. And it's (laughs) one of the main ways to get in. So we, we've scientists discovered years ago, uh, well, fairly recently, but within a few years that, um, there's naturally occurring CCR5, uh, mutants in the human population who are resistant to HIV, not necessarily immune, but resistant. Um, And so, yeah, so these two um, hooligans got together and decided it'd be a good idea to create some some babies (laughs) that would be resistant to HIV. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, they were very, they're very unapologetic about this. Uh, They thought this was very cool and a very good use of the technology. Mm. The scientific community uh, writ large has said this is not cool. Um, both universities, uh, denounced it, uh, adamantly, um, the Chinese researcher was put under, um, he's, he hasn't been seen in a month, so it's, it's believed he's under house arrest, um, (laughs) but we don't know. And part of that was because he was unapologetic and kept just going around getting invited to speaking engagements. And he was like, yeah, I did it. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'd do it again if I had the chance. (laughs) I'd do it to your baby. (laughs) I'm CRISPRing something right now. (laughs) Uh, So so just to recap real quickly. Yeah. CRISPR is just a – it's a genetic editing tool. You can cut out uh, a piece of genetic code, right? So, yeah. You can just remove – it's a way to efficiently remove a piece of code. And then with the Cas9 um, partnering technology, you can insert a different piece. Okay. So better uses would be looking for maybe a single gene mutation. So maybe if these babies would have been in vitro fertilized and they would have DNA sequenced, which is very easy. We talked about in a previous episode. Could have done that like an hour for 100 bucks. Um, They would have noticed, hey, maybe one of them has uh, the – the, the incorrect uh, single point mutation that'll lead to cystic fibrosis. So let's just cut that out really quick and swap it out while it's still a, in vitro, um, very practically. Wait, with, it only with the takes, correct, it's just one little thing that causes cystic there's, fibrosis? There's hundreds, if not thousands, of single point mutations. This is just a T that's now an A. It's a single nucleotide that leads to an incorrect protein or a misfolded protein or a non-functioning protein that causes a 
huge, hugely debilitating Holy disease. Holy cow. Yeah. Any number of those would have been a better use of this technology. <laughs> what, so what was wrong with what he did? I mean, so it sounds like... He was trying to make like a, a super designer baby sort of, only he didn't care much, much about hair color, but he wanted to make babies that would be resistant to HIV, which is, I guess, kind of um, laudable to, to some extent. I mean, extent. I wouldn't kick it out of bed, but yeah. yeah but yeah. there's just, it's um, among the list of things he could have done, this was down pretty far. <laughs> okay. Also, they, they also didn't do a very good job keeping track of their notes. And if they did, they haven't shared them with anybody. <laughs> so no one really knows exactly. The most uh, oh most detail he's given was that this was done. The CRISPR-Cas9 was delivered at an early stage of pregnancy. So I, 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 it might have been done in utero. He hasn't said. Um, well, then I think oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. I don't know. Just, yeah. Also, biggest problems, which I'm sure. He was just in the moment. I'm sure yeah. Joe will talk. will add on here. But biggest problems with this, why everyone's freaking out. Uh, you're now, this is now germline mutation. Potentially. So what does that mean, germline mutation? That means you're making an, an, a mutation that could be passed on to subsequent generations. So now you you could be – so this mutation could live in infamy in the human genome now uh, for So eternity. if this baby becomes a prolific breeder. Yeah. It, or even not. A breeder of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. And any of their offspring right. are prolific breeders. Yeah. If the baby's the next Genghis Khan, that's what we're, exactly we're, we're I was going to say. I was trying to think of who's the most prolific breeder ever. Either Genghis Gen- Khan or Gen- uh, or uh, uh, Will Chamberlain. I think it's up for debate. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, <laughs> so one of the things I think is basically really, synonymous. So one of the things I think the the, the CRISPR baby story, even though it's not. Um, wildly impactful in terms of the life of that baby necessarily yeah, or yeah. possibly even true. Um, it really opens the door to something that actually we've been uh, sliding towards, which is what are the actual therapeutic applications of, of the CRISPR technology. And there's been a great intentionality in the part of the original founders and discoverers of the Cas9 CRISPR system in actually producing that. And and so just to, to bring people up to speed, um, you know, the, the original papers that sort of published the applications of CRISPR uh, came from Dr. Dr. Dowda at Berkeley in 2012 and, and Dr. Zhang at MIT in 2013. And they've been in kind of a, a, a bit of a dispute related to what exactly their patents cover and what exactly they, they don't. That was recently resolved. And, and both these patents are now, you know, tangible assets. And so what's interesting to me, uh, we've talked a bit about CRISPR. I don't necessarily want to go back to that well, but it's what the universities have done with these patents. How are they actually going into business with other companies Mm. to be able to do it? And one of the things that's really interesting about intellectual property, a lot of the things that originally drove me to it, is that you can slice the bologna infinitely thin, that these are property but they're property that you sort of make up. You invent something, you write a patent, the patent has claims, and the claims define the meets and bounds of, of what you own. And so if you want to license that patent to 20 different people, you can. If you want to license it to one, you can. And so those models of exclusivity and non-exclusivity in patent licenses have always been really interesting to me. And so what both MIT and what, what Cal have done is they've kind of 
had a very interesting licensing model for these patents. They have, by and large, let a lot of people not exclusively license these patents. And so if I'm an animal company and I want to use CRISPR to make new transgenic animals, I can get a non-exclusive license to these patents. I pay a fee every year. I maybe pay a portion of what I make on it. But I've just got the same terms that everyone else has. So what does this have to do with the CRISPR baby? So if you want to learn therapeutic <clears throat> applications, however, that's a lot different because you're going to have to raise a lot of money to do it right and and not just sort of crisper in utero. Hey, wife's pregnant. Man, <laughs> might as well crisper it up. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, between between Facebook posts, you're like, hey, got to crisper up something. Maybe HIV resistant. Hey, let's do a poll, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like a doodle poll sort of driving whatever it's there. No, I mean, I think that like, you know, the, the companies that have sort of taken the exclusive rights for therapeutic applications, are uh, CRISPR therapeutics for the Berkeley patent and a company called Editas. And so what, by sort of a clever licensing model, Berkeley is sort of, Berkeley and, and MIT have done two things. They've sort of uh, thread the needle. They've made this technology commercially available to companies that want to exploit it for services, right? If, if I'm going to be making CRISPR modified plants, right? I can do that, everyone's gonna have access to it. So in that sense- Sentinel plants. Yes. CO2 detecting, yes. Exactly. If you want a CO2 detecting, HIV-resistant CRISPR plant, whatever. Boom. Nice. You know, Berkeley ain't going to judge you, but you just got to pay a fee, right? However, if you want to try to raise $87 million every quarter to be able to support your development of a CRISPR-delivered payload drug or for your ex vivo modified organs to sort of enhance and improve life, or even potentially your... Uh, CRISPR-modified uh, embryos that avoid having cystic fibrosis. Those are expensive operations. You're, yeah. you're not going to go get a loan from the bank and just go to town on that. You're going to raise tons and tons of venture capital, and you have to demonstrate that ain't no one else on the block going to compete with you. In order to do that, you need to have those exclusive rights. So the thing that that when we first started promoting Easy CRISPR, which we talked about in our previous show, just for those that don't remember, Easy CRISPR is a companion technology to CRISPR that while CRISPR is a cutting tool, Easy CRISPR is a very efficient way to insert things into whatever you cut out. We, so is that better than the, so Tyler mentioned Cas9 before? Is that is, is Easy CRISPR an, an improvement on, or is it just no, a different way to do it's it? It's a supplement. So if if CRISPR Cas9 is your Control X, uh, Easy CRISPR is your Control V. So Cas9 is also a cutting tool. Tyler, did you say it was an insertion tool? Uh, before? Yeah, there's, so one, comp- there's one component that's the cutting and one that's inserting, right? <clears throat> I don't remember exactly which is which. Not to my knowledge, but oh, okay. I'm not an expert CRISPR biologist okay. by any means. Okay. And the thing that's been valuable to our licensee in terms of you know CRISPR or uh, easy CRISPR is the ability to do efficient insertion. So mm. what was interesting is we had a chance to speak with the tech transfer offices at, at Berkeley and at, and at MIT when we started doing this to kind of understand their model. And they oh, were cool. really open, oh, said, cool. here's how we do it. Here's kind of the, the model that we want to do. And so we were able to sort of advance that. And so the thing that I think is really interesting about you know the, these types of technologies is that even though these are revolutionary discoveries, the institutions that ran them in the way they conducted their business made sure that everything was possible, right? If you are an academic researcher, don't worry about it. We're not going to enforce the patent against you. If you are a small company or even a medium-sized company that just wants to use this as a tool to make things, fine. Here's a reasonable structure. Everyone can have a right to it. But 
if you're going to be doing the really difficult stuff and need to raise a lot of money, we will give you those exclusive rights that are available. And I think that that's something that's fundamentally interesting about intellectual okay, property. Okay, why is this so interesting to you and why is it sh- and why should it be interesting to our listeners? So I'm not following where we're going with this. Right. So I think the interesting part is um, we talk a lot about universities and sort of discomfort associated with the inherent achiness of universities making yeah. money off of their intellectual sure. property. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incumbent on universities to manage their business in a way that kind of focuses more on the application of the technology and less about maximizing the value of the intellectual property. So in that sense, I think that MIT and and Berkeley did a really great job of having a business model that made sure the people who wanted access to it and that could pay for it got the access to it. So I think that this is a story that people should feel better, that this is a way in which everything worked, right? The, the company that needed the big investment was able to get it. The smaller companies that wanted to get it were able to do it. The university made this technology available to the public, but in a way that preserved commercial rights for everyone moving forward. Yeah, so, so science isn't being impeded. Tech, right. Yeah. Right. So Tech transfer To the win. benefit of humanity. Right. Yeah. yeah. So cool. we're, So we're going to have woolly mammoths from elephants in 10 years, and I'm going to have that glowing goldfish light, nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have plants that will let me know when the house is on fire. Yeah. Yes. They'll scream. <laughs> and if we can't find the Chinese scientist who did the original CRISPR baby, we'll, we'll just CRISPR up a new one. All right. Ooh. Is that uh, does that cover you? I, I mean, are... I'm out of things to say. Well, and that's good because we are out of time. I think it's time to come to ground. Thank you for joining us on the Innovation Overground. For be sure to check the program notes. I think you've got some links for us. Yes, we'll have links to uh, both the MIT and um, Berkeley technologies, as well as the brand new therapeutic applications of Easy CRISPR, which we will be making available this year. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Um, so on that note, thank you for joining us. For Tyler Scherer and Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton on the Innovation Overground.